To help support Kyle directly on his journey to the 2024 Paralympic Games, please visit usatriathlon.org slash Kyle Kuhn to make a tax-deductible donation, which will help Kyle and Zach offset the expenses that arise with being Paralympic hopefuls. You can also support Kyle directly by picking up a copy of his book, Discovering a Life Without Limits, How Cancer Took My Sight, Blindness Gave Me Vision, and The Mountains Let Me Live. Available in paperback from walnutstreetpublishing.com, on Amazon Kindle, or Audible. Welcome to Kicking It With The K-Train, talking with people who help me keep an eye on my vision. Hey everyone, my name is Kyle Kuhn. I'm a totally blind U.S. Paralympian author and speaker. Um, I've been pretty fortunate to live a full and adventurous life. Um, You could say that I have been pretty successful, um, but I definitely could not have done it without the help of some really incredible people. Um, So on this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to many of the people who have help shape me into the person that I am today. Um, And you know, these are the people uh, that really help me keep an eye on my vision. And maybe through hearing their stories, uh, they can help you as well. So let's get started. Thank you to my 2024 partners who make it possible for me to call myself a professional athlete. Bubba Burger. You'll never bite a burger better than a Bubba. Uh, Guys, visit BubbaFoods.com to find out where you can pick up a box of your favorite Bubba variety today. Infinite Nutrition. Take your nutrition personally. Uh, Visit infinitenutrition.us and use the code coon15 at checkout for 15% off your order and synergy wetsuits designed for your comfort delivering superior performance visit synergywetsuits.com and use code kylecoon for 15% off at checkout Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kicking It with the K-Train, where I chat with people who have helped me keep an eye on my vision. I have been trying to get this lady on the podcast for several months now, and she keeps dodging me and ducking me. Um, not, No, not really. I've just been too lazy to keep following up. Uh, but no, one of the most decorated, successful Paralympians or Olympians by that, you know, by the, in that matter that I have the pleasure of knowing, um, someone that I get to train alongside almost every day. Um, and also one of the most humble people that I, I have ever gotten to, to know and, and someone that I can, I can call a friend, um, my, my friend and, um, paratriathlon resident teammate, Kendall Gretsch. Kendall, welcome to the show and thanks for thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your uh your crazy busy life to jump on the podcast yeah thanks Kyle thanks for having me on and uh yeah excited to chat yeah no so 
<laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll, let's go ahead and, you know, let the cat out of the bag. You are an incredibly busy woman. Um, you are, you are a multiple time Paralympic medalist in both the summer and winter games. I, I want to say you're one of only like five women in the, I know in the, in the Paralympic space, but I, to, you know, have a, to medal in both the summer and winter Paralympic games. So like you, you compete in both triathlon and Nordic skiing. Um, so why don't you tell us just a little bit about kind of your history, your, your backstory, like how did you find your way into, you know, not just one sport, but, you know, find your way into, I mean, I, I don't mean, I like, I hard to even say <laughs> two sports because you're really doing like five or six sports across triathlon <laughs> and Nordic. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I guess I, I always was like active and did sports as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't really know about, adaptive sports or parasport or the Paralympics, um, as a kid, I, yeah, I guess I, I knew that like wheelchair basketball existed, but I didn't really, one, I didn't really think that that was something that like I could participate in. And I also was like doing, you know, I, I played basketball and softball, with my neighborhood teams. And it, so it was just something that I, I looked into cause I was just kind of, you know, playing basketball, not well, but <laughs> playing basketball yeah. with my friends at home. And so, yeah, it really wasn't until, until I was in high school that um, my, so my swim coach, his, her son um, knew someone that was injured and then kind of started to do Paralympic swimming and you know she came to me and was like hey you know have you heard of this is you know is this something you'd be interested in? and I was like yeah I, I think so I guess I don't really know and so I I looked into it and I tried to figure it out and I determined I was like well I don't think I qualify for this because I was like I didn't I wasn't missing any limbs and I, I didn't use a wheelchair, so I don't know. I just read everything and I was like, I, I just don't think I qualify for that. So, so yeah, I kind of just went on with my life and didn't really think that that was something that I could do. And then when I was in college, I read about someone that was on their high school or sorry, their college um, swim team and they were training for, for London, which was that coming summer. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I read that and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe I, this is something that I can do. And so, yeah, that, that summer I went, I found an adaptive swim practice. Um, They had one, one practice left before, like after I got back from school. Uh, So I went to that one practice and while I was there, I met Carrie Sirota. Um, She was at the time working for Great Lakes Adaptive Sports association and so she was running the swim practice and after they were doing a track practice so she invited me there and said like hey you know come try a racing wheelchair so I tried a racing wheelchair for the first time and 
Um, and, and she had just started Dare to Try, which is a paratriathlon organization based mm -hmm. in Chicago. Um, and so, yeah, she, she invited me to practices. I think she maybe even like signed me up for a camp and a swim meet and <laughs> all of these things all at one day. And, and yeah, I was just psyched about it because I was like, okay, here's like this whole competitive world that I really didn't know about. And I just wanted to, to give it a shot. Um, yeah. so yeah, that was, that was all the way back in 2012. And, um, yeah, so I, I started, started doing triathlon and kind of quickly fell in love with that and, um, started to get, do some more competitions and that I think 2014 was my first international race for, for triathlon. And, um, it was a really exciting time to get involved in paratriathlon because, they had just announced that paratriathlon was going to be in the Paralympics for the first time in Rio. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, that was something where I was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool. You know, can I have the chance to go to the Paralympics? This is, you know, a sport that I really love doing. And, um, and then, yeah, it's kind of a couple of years after that, they announced that, um, my classification. So the women's wheelchair division wasn't going to be in Rio. Um, and so all of a sudden I was like, shoot, now I can't go to the Paralympics for triathlon. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of ended up being like, again, matter of being in the right place at the right time. I had just moved to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, for a job after graduating from college. And before I moved there, um, the adaptive sports group I was, was working out with in St. Louis, someone there, she knew someone that had had a adaptive ski program in Madison. And so she said, Hey, you should check it out. So that was already kind of on my radar. Um, and then after they made the announcement about Rio, the director for the Nordic program, he reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, do you want to try out Nordic skiing is this is like a sport, you know, it's an endurance sport. You could try it out. You, you would have a chance to go to the Paralympics and and so, yeah, kind of went to a camp and have been doing both sports ever since then. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. Right place at the right time. Uh, so like you, you mentioned it a couple of times um, that, you know, you, you grew up not using a wheelchair um, and, and like you initially thought you weren't, you, you didn't qualify for any like Paralympic sports or anything anything like that so can you uh just briefly tell us like what is your you know what is your condition and um you know how like how do you now like how has that progressed and you know do you like how like how do you live daily essentially yeah yeah so I was born with spina bifida um and when I was younger I, yeah I had a lot more more leg function. So I've always used leg braces. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I've, I've used that my entire life. Um, but, but yeah, I had a lot more strength. So, you know, I wasn't, wasn't fast, but I could, I could like run a little bit and, okay. um, yeah. So, so that's how I was able, I think, to be, be so active as a kid, you know, I, I played, played softball and basketball, but I, I did, I mean, basketball was like purely just for fun. 
softball yeah. was a little bit more more competitive about that but I was a pitcher and so that was a position oh. where I could play and you know not really have to worry about being fat a fast runner or anything um, okay so yeah so that's kind of what I did I was a pitcher and then you know I would go up for, to bat and I think I was so short that I like I got walked probably like 90% of the time when I was playing softball. And so I would, I would walk to first base and, and then they would, they would sub out a runner, you know, as we got like more yeah. competitive, they would sub out a runner for me. And then, you know, then I would get ready for the next inning of pitching. So, so yeah. And then, um, yeah, when I was in going into high school, I had, another surgery. So I, um, it's not like super common, but it's also not completely uncommon with spina bifida, um, where you can have like, it can progress and mm -hmm. it, it especially happens like any time, like if you have some sort of like a growth spurt or like a trauma event and, um, yeah. So basically I had what's called a retethering. Um, okay. and so it meant that in my my spinal cord so when I was born um I kind of had this like fatty mass around my my spinal cord and that's what impacted kind of my nerve development and then mm. therefore my muscle function okay. um and so when you have a retethering it's the scar tissue again that kind of builds up in your spinal cord and it's the same thing so it impacts your your nerve function because where the scar tissue is building up around your spinal cord, the, the blood can't flow there as it should. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it wasn't like super obvious. Um, but I, I did, I like started to develop scoliosis in my back. Um, that was pretty significant. And there was some, some weakness that just started to develop in my leg. So mm -hmm. leading into high school, I had, a surgery to kind of go in and clean out my spinal cord and, and take out all of the, the scar tissue that had developed. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. And then after that surgery, that's when I started. So now in my daily life, I, I still use leg braces, but I also use crutches to get around. And so ever since that surgery, that's when, when I've been using the crutches. Um, but yeah, I would say since then it's been been pretty stable. So I think that's kind of like the big thing about having a, a retethering surgery is you want to kind mm -hmm. of like stop any sort of progression and, you know, save as much, much function as you can. Um, so you kind of want to do it sooner rather than later. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, I've only known you since you've been using the, you know, the, the hand crutches and, um, you know, and then it's, it's always a, it's always a shock whenever you're, uh, rolling around in a, in your wheelchair, uh, which each, you, you know, having, uh, occasionally you gotta, gotta do that, give the arms a, a little bit of a break, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's crazy because like, I, 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 you know, me, I love looking at people's race, racing history and, and all that. And, you know, you got into the sport of triathlon and, you know, like you said in 2014 and then, you know, you were all excited to, you know, potentially go to the, go to the games. And then you, you found your way 
into Nordic skiing. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. How does Nordic skiing work for a wheelchair athlete or, you know, an athlete, you know, like yourself, like you're not, I mean, you're not obviously, you know, on traditional Nordic skis. Um, so how does, how does, how, how do you race Nordic? Yeah. So, so I use what's called a sit ski. Um, <laughs> and so mine, it, it's kind of funny because I feel like in, in triathlon, you know, it, it's pretty standard equipment, right? I would say like yeah. every wheelchair athlete is using basically like one of two brands, you know, for the most part of like hand cycle and racing chair. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nordic skiing is like all over the map. Like it's totally, everyone's just making whatever they can okay. <laughs> that, that works for them. Um, so a little bit more, I would say like rugged in the equipment. Um, but yeah, so, so I, the, the sit ski that I have, I'm almost, I'm almost kneeling in it. Um, and, and yeah, just depending upon how much function you have and, and really it kind of comes down to like what core function you have, Mm -hmm. um, people will sit in different positions. So if you have um, full core. So we have a lot of sit skiers, which I think most people might be, might not realize this, but a lot of sit skiers kind of our highest classification of a sit skier are actually, uh, amputees. And like, even to the point of being like a below knee amputee, just like a single below knee amputee, they'll, they'll, because skiing requires so much like foot and ankle control that a lot of amputees will choose to be sit skiers. So, so you have that, that range of, of level where they kind of have full core and hip function and Mm -hmm. they'll sit in a really aggressive, like kneeling position where their knees are quite low compared to the hips, um, versus someone that has a higher spinal cord injury. Um, and they wouldn't, they don't have core function. They'll sit in a very different position where their knees are kind of almost up to their chest so that if Mm. they, fall forward they're they're kind of like landing on their knees and they don't you know just flop forward because they don't have that core um, gotcha but yeah then all all sit skiers so you're you're attached to everyone's sit ski attaches to two skis mm-hmm. um two nordic skis and they're fixed so there's you can't have any sort of like articulating ski um which definitely makes maneuvering one of the trickiest things to learn as a sit skier and then everyone will use we use two poles um again they're just you know standard nordic nordic poles and and we're all the technique we use is called double pulling so it just means you're you're using both both poles and kind of in sync like coming down on both poles at the same time okay um yeah. So there's really, it's really one, one technique that you got to learn as a, a sit skier and that's double pulling. And, and then you, you know, you have to figure out how to turn and maneuver. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, sometimes it, it's like, well, it's a lot of strength. Sometimes yeah. it just feels like you're doing pull-ups over and over and over again. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what sit, sit skiing is. <laughs> No wonder you can just rip off 20 pull-ups, uh, you know, with what seems like ease, uh, every single, every, you know, anytime we're in the gym, I'm, you know, it's, it's just 
crazy to me how you can just rip off pull-ups <laughs> just yeah bang them out so like yeah now i get it now i get it okay so that's the that's the secret just learn to sit ski got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay so like okay so triathlon like we know crazy amounts of equipment uh you know from hand cycle to you know your racing wheelchair um and you know and you know you just explained all the nordic equipment um you know between like the the skis the poles the, you know and and all this and you know these you know these two seasons are you know triathlon is spring slash summer slash fall nordic is you know end of fall to beginning of spring you know, end of fall throughout the winter into beginning of spring uh, so there's a lot of lot of overlap um and like i think you took a you kind of stepped a, like you stepped away from triathlon for a little bit while you were um learning the ins and outs of of nordic skiing and you actually your first paralympic experience was um pyeongchang in 2018 for for nordic um mm -hmm. I, I believe it i believe that's correct um so like i i guess like like go ahead and walk us through like how like how was the you know how how was your first paralympic experience and like what was what was the experience like you know learning you know you had just learned about triathlon and juggling all that stuff and then switching over to nordic and building up for <laughs> building up for you know this this major games and you had a pretty successful games if i'm if i if i'm remembering correctly yeah you know it, it was it was kind of crazy because um yeah i you know nordic was was definitely like so new like the the season leading into pyeongchang that was actually like the first season that i did I would say like a full competitive season before that mm. I, I had gone. Um, I, I think I'd been to like sit ski nationals and mm -hmm. then, and then I actually was at the test event that we had in Pyeongchang. Um, oh, but I think okay. those were like my two, two competitions that I had done before that. And so, yeah, I was definitely, I definitely had to learn learn quickly with Nordic skiing. Um, but I think what helps so much with that transition is just like having a, a competitive background in, mm -hmm. in triathlon. So it wasn't like I was, yeah, kind of sit skiing again. It's like, so it's so strength based that like, it really, you know, I think as a, as a stand ski, steer skier for cross country, there's like so much to learn. It's so hard. There's like different techniques, different ski skis that you're on. And even within that, there's, you know, multiple techniques that you have to learn. Whereas right. sit skiing, it really is. It's just like double pulling and how to maneuver. Okay. Um, and so, so yeah, I think kind of like having that strength and like sport background definitely let me jump into Nordic pretty quickly. Um, but I was also really lucky in that the opportunities that I got when I first started were, were really great. I think, you know, the program 
had progressed to that point where, you know, they were doing these really big camps that I was able to join in on, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the first camp that I went to was with the national team. We were there for like a week or so and in, in Canada getting on snow time. And after that, I, um, one of our development coaches, um, she lived in, in Minnesota and I was in Wisconsin still. And, um, so I would drive and I would, I would practice with her on a lot of different weekends. And, um, so they just had a lot of support in order to like help me develop in Nordic really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was able to spend, yeah, spend the winter leading into the games. I, I took a leave from my work and I moved out to Montana and, um, and I was training full time with, with the other athletes that were on the national team at that point. And, um, yeah, just being able to, to ski with them every single day, I just learned so much. And I think that was really my first, um, first experience with being in a team, a daily team environment. Um, and that, that was really one of the reasons why I wanted to join the resident program for triathlon so much is I saw the benefit of being with teammates every single day training for Nordic. And so I wanted to have that same experience, um, for triathlon. Yeah, it does. So, yeah, I like when like you and I joined the the resident program at, at the same time and like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure I'd seen your name in the, you know, I, I read your name in the, <laughs> in the press release and all that, but I, I didn't like, be honest like I was not in the I was not in the know about who Kendall Gretsch was and you know then show up and it's like oh wow like you're you know Nordic skier and uh oh by the way you're a two-time gold you know you win two gold medals in Pyeongchang at the at the winter Paralympics at the winter Paralympics um uh you know and like you're just switching back and forth from you know triathlon to you know, triathlon to Nordic and, you know, back and forth again and again, it's, it, you know, it really was, it was, and is still quite amazing, um, to me, but, you know, so, you know, so I, I'm actually, you know, like, I, I know a little bit about your, your racing and, and stuff, but what are the, what are the events in Nordic that you compete in and like what are the ones that you seem to succeed in um because i know you i mean i think you've won darn near everything um you know across all of the across all of the various nordic disciplines um but why don't you go ahead and explain kind of the breakdown of what the races you do in nordic are yeah um yeah so on the parasite of things um, we, most of our competitions are combined cross country and then biathlon. Um, so cross country races, that's skiing, just skiing. And then biathlon, um, that's where we're combining skiing and shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those are kind of the two, two main breakdown of events. And then within those two, we'll usually, there's like three or so distances that we're normally competing. Um, so for biathlon, we'll have our shortest race is called a sprint. 
um, and it's two shooting stages. Um, so you're usually skiing, it's around 6K, um, but you'll like ski a lap, go in and shoot, ski a lap, shoot, ski a lap. Um, and then we have another two other races, both which will have four shooting stages. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of them is it's more of a, a shooter's race, we say, because instead of normally for a race, if you miss a shot, you have to do a penalty loop. Okay. Um, but for this one race, it's called the individual, um, instead of skiing a penalty loop, you just get a time penalty for your missed mm. shots. Okay. And the time penalty is about double what it would take you to actually ski a penalty loop. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a much harsher penalty for missing shots. And so that's where it can kind of lean, lean to the side of, if you're a better shooter, you got more of a shot in that race. Um, and then on the cross country side of things, yeah, we've got, um, our, our shortest race is the sprint race and that's like 800 to one K. And so okay. it's usually like three to three and a half minutes long. Okay. Um, and then we'll go all the way up to a 20 K race. Oh, wow. Um, so quite a, quite a big difference in, in racing because, a 20 K race will take like over an hour to compete. Whereas a sprint race, um, that is one, you know, it's like three minutes long. Um, but you're doing it multiple times throughout the day. So gotcha. sprint day is, uh, it's the most exciting day to be around because you've got qualifying and semifinals and finals. And, you know, there's always a lot of it's head to head competition. Uh, so there's a lot that, that goes on, you know, people that break poles get in the way of people. And so it's definitely not, um, I would say my strength as an athlete, but okay. it's a race that I'll always do because it's just so fun to compete yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, it's wow. Yeah. No, I, I, I didn't realize that the, it was that big a difference for like, you know, a three minute race to a over an hour race. And I, I thought it was a big difference doing, uh, uh, you know, the one, a one hour race down to a, a 12 minute race or what, a, you know, 12, 15 minute race in for, uh, for the super sprint, um, for mixed team relay. Um, yeah. <laughs> dang, that's crazy. Uh, so you mentioned, yeah, so you mentioned biathlon and, and shooting was, you know, is, is that just something that you just, uh, like, did you, did you automatically just you know, when you got into Nordic skiing, um, like, was it just, you know, you're going to learn to, you know, do biathlon and class and classic, or was that a, was that a choice you made and you decided, Hey, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn to shoot and ski yeah. and do everything, do it, do it all. That's why, that's why I said at the beginning, you're, you're really doing like, you know, five or six sports and, you know, not just, not just two. Yeah. Well, so the way our competitions are set up for Nordic, they're, mm -hmm. they are combined of like cross country and biathlon races are at the same events. Okay. So a lot of our team, I would say most of our team does both cross country and biathlon. And, um, and part of it is, you know, you just get double the race experience, every competition you go to, instead of three mm -hmm. races, you're doing six. Okay. Um, so it's a really great way to kind of get more, more race experience. And it just, you know, it's a, 
easier thing to do, right? Logistically, sure. not necessarily physically easier, but yeah. logistically it's easier because it's, you know, they're all right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think the first season or so I didn't do biathlon. Um, and then, yeah, the, the season leading into Pyeongchang, that's when I started to do biathlon and, um, yeah, it's funny. I think I, I don't have any sort of background in shooting, um, and, and to be honest, I have like really shaky hands and so yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is not going to work out well. Like I'm not going to be able to shoot, but I don't know. There's something about, about shooting and biathlon. Um, it's such a mental, there's such a mental component to it that mm-hmm. I just love. And, um, and yeah, through the years competing in biathlon, I've, I've become a big biathlon fan in general. Like I just love to watch biathlon. Um, and, and yeah, I think just the mental side of it is, is so intriguing to me that, um, yeah, I think I, I would lean towards saying I like biathlon a little bit more (laughs) than the cross country. Yeah. Yeah. And, And correct. Like I, did you, did you win both your golds? in Pyeongchang in, in biathlon or like, or, uh, it was actually you... one, one in each. So I did one in, one in each the long cross country. And then one was our sprint biathlon. It was the first two okay. races. So I like really came in hot. And then after yeah. that kind of, <laughs> kind of fell off for the, the remaining <laughs> four races. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, it's, it's all good. But you, uh, you, you cleaned, uh, you cleaned up nicely in, uh, in Beijing, you, you know, went, so uh gold silver bronze in in beijing uh for yeah I, 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 at least two of those were well i know at least one those of them was all, biathlon all those were those were all biathlon so yeah yes, you, you clean yeah. you cleaned you cleaned house uh <laughs> when it came to beijing um yeah. for for that but uh but yeah no I, you know i i, I realize we're, we're focusing a lot on the on the nordic side of of things that that's honestly just because i'm I'm fascinated and like, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, we're around triathlon so much and, you know, we're actually, we're going into the, the winter season, we're going into <laughs> Nordic season and biathlon season and all that. So I don't know, it's kind of, kind of fun and exciting, but, um, but we'll go ahead and kind of switch gears over to triathlon a little bit um, because I, I think you had like, you're you're a pretty dominant force in in the sport of of women's wheelchair triathlon. Uh, you know, it's it's you and you know Lauren Parker. You guys are at the you guys are at the top, and it's it's the two of you, and everyone else is really far behind. It it seems, but um, but hopefully you, not for long. That's hopefully goal. yeah no hopefully <laughs> hopefully not for long. And like you know we've got some you know we've got some great people. Um, coming up through the coming up through the pipeline it's it's really exciting um but like transitioning back over to triathlon like how like how do you manage switching from you know going from nordic back to triathlon and then you know because it's a it's a quick turnaround um from you know the end of the nordic season to you know we're already into the triathlon season by that point and, and like you got to get up to speed super quick 
Um, and then like getting ready for, you know, <laughs> you know, getting ready for, for Tokyo and all that. Like it was, it was, uh, like how, how did you, how, like in general, how do you juggle the transition from one sport yeah. to the next, from one sport to the next? Yeah. So I think, you know, I've been, I've been doing the transition now for, oh, I guess I don't even know how many years, but a lot yeah. of, a number of years now where I'm, I, you know, I'm splitting or doing both seasons throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably haven't done it the same way every single year. Um, but, but yeah, I think part of it is just understanding, okay, like, you know, this is the season leading into, to a winter game. So this is a season leading into, you know, a summer games and understanding like, okay, what for me is a priority for, for the year in the upcoming mm-hmm. racing season. So that definitely plays into like how much cross training I'll do. Um, Cause there's, you know, there's been winters where I really do like no triathlon training. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I've also had winters, whether it's, you know, because of COVID restrictions and just, you know, having to kind of change training up for that way. Um, but we're all, I'll be swimming a lot or I'll be biking a lot. Um, and yeah, that will definitely be the case this winter, really yeah. trying to focus on, on the bike and, and some swim training and, um, yeah, cause, cause it is, it's a little bit of, a. It feels like most of the time during the triathlon season, I'm just playing catch up all season long where I'm trying to, trying to get back. You know, I think the, the swim and the run seem to come around pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bike is definitely the one that takes the most time to kind of get back into, into shape, which is funny because I, I always thought that would be the easiest one. Um, Hmm because swimming and and running are so technique based I was like oh you know that's that's gonna be so easy to lose and really hard to get back because it's so much technique and mm-hmm. you know biking is just pure strength and skiing's a lot of strength so like it will it'll you know I'm all strong from the winter so I'll be able to be strong on the bike but it's that sport specific strength that yeah. really doesn't translate so <laughs> yeah um, that's the one that takes, takes the most to get back. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, luckily both of my coaches work really, really well together. Um, and they collaborate with each other and, um, our strength coach, Sam, he works with me throughout the entire year. So everyone's kind of plugged in and aware of what I'm doing all year long, whether I'm in the triathlon or the Nordic season, Um, and I think that helps with making the transition really smooth from one season to the next. Um, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so we have to, we have to talk about Tokyo. Um, cause I mean, I, number one, I think that was one of, it was one of the most exciting finishes as a fan that. I, I think most like anyone who enjoys a sport of triathlon, whether it's paratriathlon, whether it's, you know, Olympic Ironman, a- any of that, like everyone loves a sprint finish in, in a triathlon as a fan. Um, yeah. and, and you, 
like I like I I was lucky enough to be in the stands, you know, after you know getting to watch you and um, you know pull off an incredible sprint finish. But you know, I I'd, I'd like to kind of hear the the story of how that race unfolded from your perspective. Uh, like you know, so t- walk us walk us through that entire race from um from start to finish because like you came from way far back and you know it it you know we all had hope but we didn't know who was going to win that race until you know until you were <laughs> in the finishing shoot um yeah <laughs> so why don't you walk why don't you walk us all through through that entire race yeah um yeah so in the wheelchair class you know similar Kyle to the the VI class we've we have a staggered start time so yep um I I'm an h2 wheelchair athlete so that means I start in the second wave of athletes um and for at the time in Tokyo I think it was um four minutes and like four seconds or something like that yeah. and um so yeah, so I I'm you know you're you're sitting there on the pontoon after the start for four minutes and four seconds just watching your competition swim away, um, and yeah, I think this the swim, um, I think the swim was one of those things where I got out and I got got through transition and I think someone had given me a split, um, out of the water and and I was like oh not as much time as I thought it was going to be. Um, but really I knew the bike was going to be the, the bike is the longest part of the race. And, and so mm-hmm. I knew that's was going to be kind of like the, the make or break moment of like, okay, you know, you can't really assess how things are going until we get onto the bike and figure out, all right, am I, am I keeping time to Lauren, um, on the bike? Am I making up time? And, and really in my mind, I knew like in order for this to be a close race, I had to be making up time on the bike. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the first couple laps on the bike, I'm, I'm getting splits from our coach every single lap. And, and, you know, you can tell there's a couple points where we double back on the course so you can see, and I can mm-hmm. tell I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm making up time. And, And, and yeah, I think it was about halfway through the bike. I, at that point, I, again, I didn't know if I was going to be able to win the race. Um, but going into the race, the thing that I was the most scared of was that I was not going to have a performance that I knew that I was capable of. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always just like, you can always have an off day and that's just how sport works. And, and I think the last time we had been in Tokyo for the test event, I did kind of have this off day. So it was just in my mind that like, oh man, in Tokyo, I don't know, like something weird might happen on the bike and I'm just not going to be feeling it that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but halfway through the bike, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm having a good bike. This is like, I'm, things are going well. And, and it was just so much fun. Like I, every single time I was lucky to race on the second day, because every single time I ran, came through transition on the bike, 
you all are going crazy. And, <laughs> and it was just so much fun. I was like, oh my gosh, like, regardless of what happens, this is just cool. Like, this is so cool. And, and yeah. And so then, you know, we get to, to the run and I, I get a split. Well, I forget if it was in transition or, you know, the very first part of the run, but I get the split and how much time I'm back from, from Lauren and, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, those are kind of close, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like every single lap of the the run I'm doing, you know, the math in my head of like what the splits are. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be really close. This is going to be really close. Like I might be able to do this. And, and yeah, then the, the final lap, it wasn't until the final lap of the run that I actually saw her in front of me for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, there was the Tokyo run course was so technical. There were so many turns on it. And so it was hard to judge if I was gaining enough time on her. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the, the, the final portion of the run into the finish line was this downhill section and then there was this left-hand turn and that was something that I that part of the course I had been thinking about since the test event because yeah the test event it was just this like really kind of sketchy part it was like this weirdly fast downhill but it was like kind of bumpy and then then you also you know had this quick left-hand turn that I was like, oh my gosh, you could like tip over in your racing chair. And that's like, yeah, worst case scenario that you're going to like eat it on this last turn. And so that was something that Derek and I had talked about beforehand of like, okay, what's the line to take? How are we going to take this? And so, yeah, going into that final downhill again, I was like, I don't know if I'm making up enough space here in order to catch her. And so then, yeah, we finally, we get to the, the, final straight and at that point it's like okay just put your head down and go as fast as you can (laughs) and um and yeah and and I honestly I I I thought that I actually messed up the end of the race um because I I knew at one point that I had passed her before the finish line Mm -hmm. um but then there's like past the finish line there's just this line of cameras and this wall of of cameras and it's like not that far past the finish line and racing chair you're going fast and the front brake which is your only brake like does it really work that well and I just (laughs) was like oh my gosh I'm gonna like slam into all these cameras so I I put I like I I started my brake and then as we cross the finish line I I had to look up at the at the like timing you know the the jumbotron and see what the time was. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I think I messed it up. I think I break too early and she passed me back. I'm like, Oh my gosh. But then, yeah, as soon as I saw that, that I, I had won, I was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, just, we, it just, it, that, that being witness to that was so incredible. Um, pretty sure I lost my voice for a week after, you know, cause <laughs> I, I, cause I, I was cheering so hard just in, just at that race. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was really incredible to, to be to have a front row seat, um, to that and to, you know, to, you know, 
boogie down there and to you know you know congratulate you on the on the finish line uh it was it was it was pretty special for um for all of us in the stands uh like it was it, it's cool to hear it from from your perspective and but then like <laughs> i i don't know how you did it because you switched gears and again like we're you know again this this switching gears thing like you transitioned from tokyo to nordic you know in less time than it it takes to snap your fingers because you had you had to go race beijing (laughs) in six months yeah uh or or like six months or less i I can't remember exactly what it was but you know and and we thought tokyo was was strict on covid protocols and, and all that but like you know talk to us about the you know the the beijing games experience and how it differed from because you you've now competed in you know three paralympic games you've you know yeah. you've you've, <laughs> you've competed across all kinds of different races you competed in two winter games the summer games you've competed in two games where there were covid protocols all of this like how how did the the beijing experience differ from you know from pyeongchang and then how did how did it differ from tokyo yeah well (laughs) i guess i'll start by saying that beijing was like the weirdest experience of my life okay (laughs) on like a number of levels but but yeah i think you know i think for for tokyo obviously we had a lot of covid restrictions going into that and a lot Mm -hmm. of stress and unknown um but i you know, looking back on it now, I, I really think we were so lucky in that, like the rest of the world was like also pretty strict still on COVID stuff at that point, you know, it wasn't like, I think at that point, you know, people were just starting to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was still, it was still pretty, pretty locked down, um, at that point. And so I felt pretty comfortable you know, with where we were training and and just comfortable with like, you know, being able to not, not get COVID. And, and yeah, once we were in Tokyo as well, you know, it was, it, it, I guess it, it didn't feel as locked down as I was expecting it to. And I think we were definitely lucky um, in that, like our race was out in the streets, you know, so it wasn't like yeah. we were competing in an empty stadium and an empty arena. Right. I think right. that would have felt very surreal, but, but we were, you know, I feel like there were people watching and especially, you know, for, for my race, having everyone that raced the day before in the stands. And so it didn't feel like too off from my experience in Pyeongchang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, obviously the big, big missing piece was not having friends and family yeah um be there and and yeah I you know I'm I'm so so sad that Japan and Tokyo wasn't able to have that games because I feel like they would have just like completely knocked it out of the park in terms of just like fans coming and watching um but yeah Beijing was Beijing was so mentally hard because at that point 
the world was going back to normal. You know, people people were vaccinated and and rightfully so they were getting back to normal life and we right. just had to lead this like super super isolated life leading into Beijing like I you know outside of practice I didn't see anyone I lived you know I had an apartment where I lived by myself um for a good chunk of that winter and um wow would only see people in, in training and every competition we went to, everyone had their own room. We weren't sharing rooms. You brought all of your meals back to your room. Um, so there was really just like this very, very isolated and like just so much fear about getting COVID um, because how much there, you know, there's a big like wave of Omicron happening at the time. And mm -hmm. um and yeah, the ramifications of getting COVID were were quite extreme for for Beijing. Like if you tested positive, I think it was like in this two week period before before we left for the games, it was like you're you're not going. Like you're not. Wow. There's not going to be a plane to take you to China to go. And and yeah, once we were there, it's also super surreal, like dystopian feeling of. You show up to this massive, massive airport and there's, it's completely empty except for hundreds of people that are in like full on hazmat suits. And every oh single gosh. person <laughs> that we saw in Beijing was in a like full hazmat suit. So, oh my gosh. so yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a unique experience. And, um, I think, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, to having, another another Paralympic experience you know <laughs> on the summer side of things like it would would be my first full summer games experience and I'm excited yeah. for that and like excited to be a fan of the other sports and go and watch and cheer on the rest of Team USA after our races and yep. on the winter side of things I'm excited to do a games where we're in a place that has like a rich history of ski culture and like that's just going to be a really cool experience too. Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and talk about, you know, talk about the future. We've spent a lot of a lot of time on the past. Uh, so you have already punched your ticket uh, at least on the on the US side of things for uh for Paris. So mm -hmm. what is what's kind of your what's kind of your race plan or your game plan for, you know, for 2024 like, you know, starting now until until uh, you line up to defend your gold medal in Paris. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a lucky thing. I was able to, to, yeah, kind of solidify the U S spot for, for myself in, in Ponte Vedra at worlds this past year. Um, yep. And so it is, I can kind of look into next year. Like I I'll have to keep racing to keep my world triathlon ranking up and my Paralympic ranking up. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, I can just be a little bit more selective on the races that I go to and, and then also, you know, not have to worry about like peaking for a specific race that's before the game. So, so yep. obviously Paris is kind of the big focus for, for next year. Um, but I will, I'll do probably going to do a couple of world series races. I usually like to start with Yokohama. Um, yep. you know, that gives me a little bit of time after 
the Nordic season to kind of fully transition into full triathlon training before mm-hmm. I go and race. Um, and then, yeah, I think we'll do, do a couple other races. I think the thought is, you know, go to Swansea. They've got lots of cobblestones, which will hopefully mimic the Paris court of course a bit. And, yep. um, yeah, so trying to, trying to get in a couple of races just to keep the, the racing juices flowing and, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And then the, and then the plan is, you know, the plan is to continue on and, uh, for the, for the winter game, you know, to go to the winter games in 2026 and, uh, it's, it's back in uh, Italy, right? Yes. Yeah. So the 26 games are Milan Cortina. Um, and so, yeah, we actually will get our first chance to go to the venue this coming winter. Um, we're, yeah, we're going to be able to go there and, um, yeah, I've, I've only, I've only skied in Italy once and that was on a ski where we started in Slovenia and skied into Italy. So oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excited to ski in Italy. And, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it is, it's exciting because I feel like both of these games are going to be this, you know, like just an added experience to, to the Paralympics that I haven't had in the three games that I've gone to so far. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know after these two games, you know, if, if I'm going to keep competing or not. And so, yeah, just looking for different things from these experiences and, and, um, yeah, I think thinking about how to, to take it all in knowing that, you know, this, this might be the last ones who knows I'm not committing to anything, but, um, yeah, just really trying to enjoy them for what they are. For sure. For sure. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you the, the, the dreaded question, which, you know, which sport is your favorite because, you know, we know it's triathlon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just kidding. But like, is there like, is there a, a race, you know, either in, I mean, you can pick a, a, a race from triathlon or, um, a race from, from Nordic, um, uh, you know, is there a race that stands out in your mind as being one of the most exciting that you've ever competed in? Like, you know, and, and what what defines like an exciting or a, a great race for you, whether that be in triathlon or Nordic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard not to pick Tokyo when we're talking yeah. about the best race, you know? Sure, for um, sure. <laughs> And yeah, I think that it's for a number of reasons. Like it, it was just the culmination of so many different things. Like in Tokyo, you know, it was being able to finally race for in a triathlon for the first time at the Paralympic Games. Like I thought triathlon was going to be my first Paralympic experience and missing out on that in Rio. And so, yeah, Tokyo was like, okay, I finally get this experience. And 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 there were so many little moments throughout the race where it just mm-hmm. felt like everything that I've done up to this point has been leading here. Like the small things that I've learned as an athlete, both on the summer and the winter side of things, mm-hmm. they're they're helping me in this race and they're playing out in this race. And um 
and, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the really cool things for me about Tokyo was my handler for the race was Dan Tun, who he was the co-founder of dare to try. And yeah, like I, I wouldn't be where I am now without that organization. And so having him there, you know, again, it was like this added, added layer to it. And, um, and yeah, I think the biggest thing of it all was Tokyo, you know, not having friends and family there, you know, it was hard, but I feel like it made our team so close and like so connected from that time and being able to hear you all cheering and, and, and yeah, I mean, there's like so many things leading into that where like, there were times where I had no idea if I was going to be able to like, even be close to Lauren going into Tokyo. Right. I think there were so many times where like, you all and the team and the coaches had so much confidence and belief in me. So it really did feel like this, this team effort, this race. And so, yeah, like that, that race for me symbolizes so many different things. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to be proud of a race where you win, but like, there's so many things about that, um, that stand out as, is why that's like the most defining race for me in my career. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, just out of curiosity, like, like, is there a race that stands out in your mind where like you, you were really disappointed in, in your performance and how did you, like, how did you bounce back from that? Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I feel like these, <laughs> these past few years since, since Tokyo, every single race and triathlon, I wouldn't say uh, have been great. You know, there's, there's been a lot of moments where, you know, I had to, to bounce back from kind of like the mental onslaught that Mm -hmm. both Tokyo and Beijing were. And so, you know, last season for triathlon was a lot about just like, okay, getting back into sport and you know, finding again, like, why, why am I still doing this? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And then I think again, this year where there were a lot of times where I did feel like I was in, in such a better mental space, but then maybe the results weren't what I was expecting them to be. Um, and, and just trying to, to reconcile with that of, you know, why, why is there maybe such a disconnect in my mind of what I think I'm able to do and then what's happening in race day. And then, you know, the doubt of like, okay, is, am I going to be able to, to do that again? Like, you know, was, was Tokyo not a fluke, but like, was that a one-time thing or am I going to be able to, to do a triathlon and find out what's, what are the, you know, the missing pieces that I need to do to figure out how, how to win a race. Um, so yeah, I feel like this, this past season has been, it's been hard and I wouldn't say it's like one specific race that I'm disappointed in, but it's just right. like trying to figure out those puzzle pieces and, um, yeah. yeah. What, but what, I think what that's are, like, what are, what are some of the techniques that are like some of the, the things that 
you do to like that you're specifically doing to kind of help that that mental you know get over that mental hump essentially yeah I think for me one of the big things is um thinking about like when I'm done with triathlon what do I want to say like what do I want to say I was able to accomplish um and and like as I've been able to answer that question for myself, it's, it's not necessarily to say like, oh, I was the best and I won every single race, but it's like, what was the impact that I was able to have on this sport? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, a lot of that is, is, you know, the, the growth of our sport and trying to, to figure out like, how can we make, make the women's wheelchair class. So it's not just me and Lauren at the top and, and how do we grow the sport and find new people to compete and support those that are already competing, um, so that we can all kind of be, be on this same level of, you know, competition. And, and that's something that's given me a lot of like joy and perspective in this, this past year. And, Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, and then I think also at the end of the day, it's like the only thing that I control is like, you know, the effort that I'm putting into it. And, and so, yeah, you know, results, it's like, you're, that's so dependent upon every single other person in the race and you have no control over that. So if I can, at the end of the race say like, okay, well, I did everything in my control. I, you know, it's not like, like I kept trying and, and I, yeah, again, it's like, I did what I could control. Um, and I think that's where you can, can be satisfied in a race and, and yeah, you're still disappointed, but like it, it can kind of, yeah, be satisfying in some ways. And, and yeah, well, like, <laughs> yeah. as I'm saying this, it's not perfect. I'm not no, like no, happy a, all the time, but no, no, absolutely. No, it, it's, and I, and I, I think it's important for, you know, I, I ask you that, you know, number one. Yeah. Cause yeah, selfishly, I, you know, I, I like to, you know, you know, I, I've had a, I've had a tough time the last couple of years on the mental side of things. So I like it. It's one of those things. I, I like hearing how other, you know, people bounce back, but, you know, I, I think it's important, um, for people to like, look, they see the, you know, they see your, like your super decorated, you know, athlete, uh, you know, like something like 20 something world championship medals and like, you know, you know, six or seven Paralympic medals and, you know, with, you know, three golds and, uh, you know, it, it's, or four, you know, four golds. How I lose count, Kendall. <laughs> That's okay. <We> <laughs> I lose count. I lose count. Uh, like you know, it's. It, I think it's important for people to see that. Look, it's like you, like you do. Like even though you are this decorated, you know, Paralympian, you, like you, like you got, you have your, you, you have your struggles too. And it's, it's. Uh, I, I think it's really fascinating to to hear how you bounce back from those and how you, uh, how you cope with them. So no, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, it's, it's not, not pretty all the time. So it's all good. Yeah. I think the thing that most people, if they haven't experienced it, being an athlete is like a, it's a really unique experience because 
you're it's like it's different than a job you know like it it is our job but you're not just committing you know like your work hours to this this is like your whole life is committed yeah. to this you know you're you you've moved to a different place or you're structured you know your your whole life about being an athlete and being the best athlete that you can and so yeah it's you know it's like it's it would be hard not to care as much and not yeah. to have as much disappointment as you can sometimes but I think yeah it's an experience that like can often feel really really hard to explain to people and I think that's why it's so important yeah for for athletes to have yeah to be able to hear things like this or talk to one another and and just understand that like this is such a unique experience but but you do have other athletes that are uh, that are familiar with with what you're feeling and what you're going through yeah no absolutely well we're gonna you know we'll be wrapping up here soon uh because i know you know you gotta you're gonna want to get to dinner and all that but uh but i I, you know i I mean sport is you know i mean like you like you just said sport is our life um you know our our lives do revolve revolve around sport but outside of sport like what do you enjoy like what what do you enjoy doing like what is like what are what are your other hobbies and you know like what kind of stuff do you like to do and what kind of stuff are you into outside of swim bike run ski shoot yeah man kyle this uh <laughs> this is like maybe my second least favorite question versus i, I, I know because like <laughs> it's like oh. man i feel lame because <laughs> i don't know the other day someone asked me this i'm like yeah so like what do you do outside of triathlon i'm like does eating food count? Like does, it one hundred percent counts. Come on, Kendall. That's what I was hoping going, you would say. Going to restaurants does that count? <laughs> so yeah, hey, I would say hey, we gotta bring we gotta bring back the food club. Like we had a food club there for like a hot minute. Like we did. We had a one time food club that needs to expand. Yes, but yeah, I think um, yeah. Um, cooking and you know Haley you know Haley and I like to make ice cream together and that's always a fun hobby and um but yeah just trying out new places in in Colorado Springs or trying trying to attempting to to be a a barista for our team (laughs) with our espresso machine but yeah so just like little things I think not not anything crazy I need to need to find you've got a bunch of hobbies, Kyle. So I, I got to get on your level. I don't, I don't think <laughs> no, Netflix no. and food can be my hobbies. <laughs> no, it's that's that's all good. Hey, you know, we all we all have our we all have our strengths. Uh, you know, you're uh, you know, I I gotta I I will point out, um, uh, you have incredible book recommendations. So, uh, you know, I I think it was a uh. uh the Midnight Library and a man called uh, and a man called Ove were were two of the book recommendations that you gave me, and 
you know, so far you're bat, you know, so far you're batting a thousand. So, right. <laughs> so well, you know, I, reading, I, uh... reading books is definitely, uh, definitely up there. So, uh, you know, whenever you're ready to send out more, uh, more recommendations, uh, let me know. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I've got to, I've got to become a faster reader. I've given McLean two suggestions in the past two days, and she's already finished them both. So, oh wow, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I guess I, I do like to read. <laughs> that that is true. Uh man, Kendall, this, I mean, I, I mean, we have talked forever about a lot of, you know, a lot of different stuff in the in the past. Um, but you know, we'll go ahead and, um. Uh, you know, I could continue asking you endless amounts of questions about, you know, racing and training and, um, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the new ice cream flavor going to be, uh, you know, for when I get back, you know, for when we're both back in the Springs, uh, at some point, um, <laughs> uh, by the way, did you guys test out and it, did you guys make any of those, uh, ice cream flavors that we were talking about? Uh, no, before I we left. haven't. What? I Come need, on. Yeah, we need to. We've got some good names in the works, so we gotta okay. gotta actually execute those flavors. Yeah, seriously. Uh, there were some. Uh, what were the names that you guys were trying to come up with, or that you were uh, experimenting with? Oh man, there was. There are so many self-made billionaire. That was maybe self-made billionaire. Yeah, that yeah. was that. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was one that uh that sounded really really good. So. Um, well, no, I'll have to do a, uh, have to have you back on once we do a, like, uh, we'll have to do that blind ice cream tasting test live on the podcast yeah. or something like that. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Make for entertain, entertaining stuff. Uh, all right, Kendall. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I know you're crazy busy. You're getting ready to transition back to Nordic and, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm super stoked and excited to, to get back into the training environment with you coming up and, you know, gear down, ready for, uh, ready for an amazing 2024 of racing. And, uh, you know, just, it, it really is, um, I, I just, I, you know, I, I gotta tell you, like one of the, one of the things that, you know, I, really admire about you is that you can like you can just put your head down and you put in the work and like you you know you do hardly ever complain <laughs> and um uh, but like you know you're you're always there um you're always there for your teammates and and i really really appreciate that um you know whether it's whether it's me or you know Haley or mclean or emmy like you're always very open um and you're you're always there for for your teammates which is really awesome so thank you so much and you know before uh before we before i cut you loose uh why don't you go ahead and tell people how can how can they follow you and keep up with keep up with your journey because uh, i know you are quite the social media um, yeah, man. Personality. <laughs> I say yeah, that with well... ultimate sarcasm. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Sorry. This is you know, this has been really fun. Uh, and um, but yeah, I don't know, man. The best way to follow me on social media is like the USA Triathlon page. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds obnoxious, but 
You are on Instagram and you know, honestly, if people want to follow you, they got to follow Haley. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, we, we put you up on the USA Paratriathlon resident team page, I think a little bit too. Yeah, there you um, go. That's, those are the best channels, Haley and, and the resident team page. Yeah, awesome. Uh, good stuff, Kendall. Well, thanks a million. Uh, best of luck with the Nordic season. Um, go crush it this uh this winter and i'm looking forward to uh hopefully hopefully one of these days i'll be able to keep up with you uh in the pool um more than for more than a 50 (laughs) (laughs) okay all right (laughs) that's my goal that's my that's that's my lifetime goal keep up with kendall for more than a 50 (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i feel like a two under might be pretty close we'll see uh we'll see we'll see anyway uh now seriously kendall thanks so much really appreciate it and um you know like keeping an eye on you know everyone like i i have people on this podcast that help me keep an eye on my vision and you know my teammates are key to that and i I hope by you know listening to kendall's story and you know hearing about her experiences i really hope that you guys are can understand how she has helped me keep an eye on my vision and and how she can ultimately help you keep an eye on yours so thanks kendall and we will chat very soon and until then everyone else keep an eye on your vision Thanks so much, Kendall, for coming on the show. So great catching up with you. Uh, Really looking forward to when you are back here in Colorado Springs, back in the fold with us at the training center. Uh, But until then, hope you're enjoying playing in the snow and tearing it up out there uh, on the Nordic ski trails and such. But hey, you guys, it's 2024. Uh, You know what that means. It is a Paralympic year. We are less than nine months away from the 2024 Paralympic Games. So if you would like to follow my journey, keep up uh, with all of the updates and such, please uh, go over to uh, all your favorite social media platforms and give me a follow. You can find me on Instagram at ironkyle, that's E-Y-E-R-O-N-K-Y-L-E, and on Facebook at Kyle Kuhn Speaks. Um, guys, also please check out my website, kylecoon.com. That's where you can pick up a copy of my book, Discovering a Life Without Limits, How Cancer Took My Sight, Blindness Gave Me Vision, and The Mountains Let Me Live. And if you guys are uh, wanting to help my, my guide, Zach, and I out, um, in a more direct way, please pop over to usatriathlon.org slash Kyle Kuhn, and that is where you can make a tax-deductible donation um, to help Zach and I offset the, uh, the many expenses that do arise um, as Paralympic hopefuls. So uh, all the support uh, is greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, and if you can't do any of that, guys, hey, at the very least, please, 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 um, if you're enjoying these podcast episodes, uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us on Spotify, and um, hey, you know, shoot me a, an email letting me know what you are enjoying. 
uh, about the podcasts or if you would like me to make any changes or you have any suggestions um, you can always email me at kyle at kylecoon.com uh, but until next time you guys as always keep an eye on your vision <laughs>